Hey, welcome to the New Life Bible Fellowship Podcast. Our mission is to cultivate a community that enjoys God and transforms the world through the gospel. We hope these weekly messages serve to inspire you, invite you to experience the greatness of God, and empower you to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. Thanks for joining us. Amen and amen. I'm still dancing to that song. Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. Like that. God is good, yes? Amen. We are going to worship him today in the word. And I pray that this is a treat. I'll just say for me and for John, as we've been walking through these passages in this week, it's been a, it's been a treat and a privilege just to meditate on how good God is. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I don't know where you're at in wanting to push the reset button on 2020. <laughs> it, I, I've heard it said that 2020 has been a long decade. Um, it, 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 in Tucson here, not only do you have the, the COVID issues and then that re-spiking, and then you have the racial divide things going on throughout the entire country, then you have these fires coming down and you, you want to push reset. I, I saw a meme online of a lady praying, asking the Lord, Lord, what chapter of Revelation are you going to unfold today? Uh, perhaps my favorite meme going around right now online is Time Magazine's 2020 Person of the Year uh, being Mayhem, uh, the, the insurance guy of, of, of Mayhem. On the one hand, it's funny, and on the one hand, it, it's serious. It has been a heavy year. And there are times we want to hit the reset button. But one of the, one of the joys now of, of starting to open up, as all of culture is open up here as a church, we're going to meet at least some, who, those who are able face-to-face next week. I'm sorry we're not there already. I'm so looking forward to that. But um, we have a chance as we open up into a new normal to make changes into that normal. We, we can... We can pave into a new future and take a look at kind of a, a time of resetting culture and, and infuse into that reset perhaps some goals that God would give us. As a church, uh, the elders uh, around a year ago began praying through, God, what, what things would you have for new life as we look towards the future to solidify who we are and what you have called us to be? And, and in that time, we came up with kind of nine statements. Um, and for me, I, I've re-looked at those nine just in the last few weeks in the midst of this season, and I get even more excited about them because I really believe these are things God is calling us to in the future. So what we're going to do is go through for the next nine weeks kind of a resetting culture, some things that we believe God is calling new life to, and I believe these apply into our individual lives as, as we reset. So I want to read the nine statements, and then we're going to dwell on the first one, and and that's going to be the message for today. So here's the nine statements. First is this. God is big, and God is good. The gospel changes everything. The Bible is our source. Everyone matters to God. We are contributors, not consumers. Character outlasts charisma. And if, you, if you're trying to take notes, it's going too fast. You can look it up online. It's on our webpage. Mm-hmm. 
Life is better together, big church, small feel, and healthy churches multiply. Now, every one of those is important. They're important in terms of who we are as a church, who we believe God's calling us to be in the years ahead. But there's not a mistake that we begin with this statement. God is big and God is good. God is big and God is good. Now, I don't know about you, but I need to hear that. Maybe in 2020 more than Correct. any ever. Yes. Like, I need to hear that God is big. I need to hear that God is good. I need to hear those together. Because you know what? In the midst of anxiety, in the midst of fear, in the midst of, I mean, for goodness sake, you just go on social media and you're just like, I'm just worn out, like 10 minutes in. Like, we need to know that our God is big and our God is good. And when we know that, when our, when our hearts, not just, not just up here, when it sinks down into my heart, when it sinks down into our culture as a church, you know what? We become a people who are not driven by and characterized by anxiety. We're, we become a people who fear dissipates. We're, we're not characterized by apathy either. Apathy, yep. fear, anxiety, those are the disease of someone who has too small a God. Yes, yes. You make God small and you exalt yourself and you have problems. So we're starting, so, yeah, you keep going. No, we're good. So <laughs> we're, gonna, we're gonna flesh out seven truths. Yeah. Seven truths that we can take home with that, with that one big truth. God is big and God is good. So yeah. take us, take so, us so, away. So here's, here's the first one. We're gonna walk through these, but all seven of these truths come out of scripture, wrap around this, this central theme. God is big and God is good. So, so this first one is, it is impossible to exaggerate the bigness of God. Think about this for a moment. You, in your wildest dreams, the more, you can, the, the more you can possibly imagine, it is absolutely impossible to exaggerate the bigness of God. And this is important for us because sometimes I think we, we, like, to, we like to invent a God who is controllable, who is manageable. We like to... We like to invent a God, I, I sometimes think we invent him just slightly smarter than ourselves. Like God is, is a little better than us, but he is relatable in, in that way. Listen to these words from Isaiah chapter 55. This is Isaiah 55, verse eight and nine. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. He said, you, you cannot possibly exaggerate the bigness of God. It, it's not that he is this much higher or this much. He is infinitely higher. We can't measure the gap. One of the diseases I think we have in the Western world in particular is from the age of enlightenment and the age of reason, we, we, we like to understand things. We like to control things with my, even, even now the COVID stuff. You have all these people understanding what this virus is, what the mask is. This, this. No one has a clue, <laughs> but we certainly don't have a clue. God draws us to a place of mystery and awe. If you can understand who God is, you don't know God. Mm -hmm. He is bigger than we can fathom, and we ought to fall in awe and wonder. We have a God who is big and who is good. I love that. You cannot exaggerate the bigness of God. Yep. Number two is, is this truth. 
Gazing on the bigness and goodness of God transforms us. Gazing on the bigness and goodness of God transforms us. Now, I just want to pause here just for a second. You might notice something a little bit odd here. This first statement is God is big and God is good. Now, I think for a lot of us, those things don't seem to fit together. Mm -hmm. Like, if we have a big God, we might not have a very good God. If we have a good God, we might not have a very big God. But those things in Scripture, again and again, go right together. In fact, what I want to do is I want to pick up where you left off in Isaiah 55. In fact, because here's how Isaiah picks up and and leads into this whole section about God being so far away from us. Here's what he says. He says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Or you could say, gaze upon the Lord, which is, which is where we're going. Seek the Lord while he may be found. In other words, come to him. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he, that's God, may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, declare the Lord. Amen. So, so we look at this, at this big God, and, and what does Isaiah say? He says, you, you know, one of the primary ways that we experience the bigness of God is actually just how big his goodness is. He has big goodness. He says, he says come, come and, and receive him. You who are wicked, you have who've, who've walked away from God, you who are unrighteous, come and and just test him, and you will find compassion, and you will find mercy, and you will find grace in this big, good God. Amen. I, I, think, I think of us as, as those who oftentimes think of God as kind of, if we have a big God, he's kind of like a Wizard of Oz type yeah, of God. Out there. He, he, he's this, if you've seen this old classic film, right, this, when they, when they finally come, they're, they're trembling and shaking, and you have the, the, you know, the scarecrows who's trembling in front of this big billowing smoke and the big booming voice. But no, God says, come near, seek me. In fact, I want to flip over to the New Testament, and here's where we get this language where, where we're invited to gaze upon the bigness and the goodness of God and thus be transformed. Here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. In other words, come, gaze upon him. You're not going to get a big booming voice, big billows. Come near and gaze upon his glory. We could say his big goodness. And there, you'll experience the transforming power of God. You see, when we meet God in the Bible, you know, we, we talk about reading the Bible a lot. It's not because we want you to have some religious duty. It's because we want you to encounter the holy God who has written to us. We talk about prayer a lot. We don't pray because it's some religious duty to gain us points with God. It's because we encounter a big, good God who changes us as we encounter him, who transforms our hearts. So come, meditate on him. Think on him. Gaze on him. Pray to him. Write write to him. List your thoughts to him. 
You cannot find the end of his bigness and of his goodness. Amen. I'm adding to your list, muse on him. Muse on him. Ponder on him. Yes. Meditate on him. Mm. We are to gaze on the bigness and goodness of God. So I hope you, you can feel a little where we're going. Even backing up, we really believe God is both big and good. And, and we're hearing a calling as our church. This is, this is our identity. This is who we are. This is our culture. And this is good, that we would understand we cannot exaggerate the bigness of God or the goodness of God. And we are to gaze upon God. A third truth in here is that we have peace because God is in control. We have peace because God is in control. Listen to these words from Isaiah chapter 46. He says, remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done. Saying my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country. I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. Mm -hmm. We have peace. Because God is in control. And when fires rage on the mountains and people are evacuating their homes, when all of society shuts down and there's a, a novel virus that we've never seen before and there's, there's all of these issues, and then on top of that, r- racial issues exploding throughout our whole country, on top of that, it's a political season, which I don't think anybody likes mm-hmm. a political season. Mm-hmm. God's in control. And it is so good to remember that. He's not surprised by any of these things. When I first became a Christian, I was um, kicked out of my house. And I lived for a season under a bridge and in a park and then in the back of a mail truck. And I remember times in all three of those settings, um, crying myself to sleep, trying to figure out what was going on. I had this idea that when I became a Christian, life would get better. (laughs) And life was not getting better. And I remember just crying myself to sleep, crying out to God. But a gift I was given then, and even more so now reflecting back, was a sweet peace that God is in control. We can't see all of His purposes. We can't see all that He is doing. But don't forget for a moment That God is big and God is good. And we have peace because he is in control. Amen. Amen. Let's move on to the fourth truth. The fourth truth is this. We embrace. We embrace God's sovereignty. We embrace God's bigness is another way to to frame that. Now, Now, one of these just typical kind of conversations that comes up when you start talking about the bigness of God is you say, okay, well, hold on. Like, God is big, but like, like how, how much in control is he? Like, because we still have free will, right? And we'd say, well, yeah, the Bible talks about that. Absolutely. But, but here's the reality as we, as we look at the, the, the bigness of God and, and our free will. Like, our eyes ought to, ought to go to the bigness mm-hmm. of God. And we don't just... We don't, just, we don't just embrace the love of God. We don't just embrace the gentleness of God, the kindness of God, the faithfulness of God. We embrace all those things. There's a lot of churches that, is, that embrace those things, but when they get to the sovereignty of God, they're like, oh, I'm not so sure. 
we embrace the sovereignty of God. It's a good thing to embrace his sovereignty. Here's what, how Paul puts it in Ephesians 1. He says this, In him, in God, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. But predestined is like this scary word. Oh, People try to avoid it. Thanks a lot, John. Now yeah. you threw predestination in there. <laughs> and again, this is something that we might shudder at and pull back from. We want to say, no, no, it's a good thing. It's a good thing to trust a God who has all things in his hand, who is you and me, and, and he cares for us, and he leads us. And there's not a moment where he does not walk in front of us. He does not predestine our steps. We think of, go ahead. We, but we wouldn't claim we understand it. No. This, this is, that's where it's, it's only a scary word if we have to understand it. If we can come before that and understand, we don't understand, like, we're not going to be able to write a paper on predestination and tell you all the details of how God and why God does what he does. We don't understand it, but we can bow before a big, beautiful, powerful yeah. God. I cut you off. Yeah, no. Yeah, we, we have a God that we can trust. We have a God who's in control. He's in, here's another way to frame it. I love the way that, that John frames it in his epistle. In 1 John 4, um, John writes, and, and he, he's talking about love here. And one way to, to look, about, look at this and to think about this, one way actually, multiple times through scripture you think about this is this question. Okay, so, so I have free will and God calls me to love him, but I, I get to choose that, right? But, but God also is, is a sovereign predestining God who, and God, God loves me despite whether I do that. Like, which comes first? Is it, is it my love of God or is it God's love of me? Here's Here's how John answers that question in 1 John 4, 19. He says this, we love because he first loved us. Yeah. We love because he first loved us. I, I'm alive. Paul uses this death life, death life language. I'm alive because, because God set his love on me. We are alive as the people of God because God, God had compassion on us. God first loved us. And when we look at it that way, when we look at not just the sovereignty, it's not just the bigness of God, it's the big goodness of God. It's, it's the big love of God. It's a God who loves, who sets his love on us, despite who we are. That is why we embrace God's sovereignty. Amen. Amen. Another principle, another truth that goes along with this God is big and God is good. Our purpose is found in God. Mm -hmm. Our purpose is found in God. Listen to these words from Romans chapter 11. For from him and through him and to him are all things, to him be glory forever, amen. So that we can say we are from him and to him and for him, that we, we belong to God, our purpose is to glorify God, our purpose is drawn near to God. And it's not just, it's not just our purpose. We could, we could pause there and broaden this out. The, the, the entire universe, everything that is made, everything that is made is from him and through him and to him and for him. Mountains and fish and stars and galaxies, everything that exists, exists for God. And we can even pause to, to, to shrink it back down. It's not just human beings who find their purpose in God. It's me. And it's you. The, the, the solar system, 
Our, our, gal- our solar system revolves around the sun. That, that was not always believed. Some people believed that, that the earth was flat. Some people believed that the, the sun revolved around the earth. In fact, even our tradition of saying the sunrise and the sunset is thinking that somehow the sun, no, the sun is not moving. We know that now. The sun is still and the earth is revolving around it. The only way to understand our solar system is that we would see the earth revolving around the sun. The only way to understand our lives is if we understand we revolve around God. We revolve around Him. And that's directly connected to His bigness. Yeah. In fact, God like baked this into the universe as one of the laws of the universe. Correct. That which has smaller mass is pulled toward that which has larger mass. So Gravity. If, if I jump up, I'm going to be pulled back to earth because mm-hmm. I weigh a little bit less than yep. the earth does. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so too with the earth and the sun, right? It's not an accident that the, that the earth revolves around the sun because the sun has a much bigger mass. Mm-hmm. And so the earth is pulled in its orbit toward the sun. And so it is with God. Our purpose is with God because God is that much bigger than us. Amen. When, when, when I live in a way where God revolves around me, I'm breaking the very purpose and the very rules of the way that he's established his universe. Looking up to space is a good thing to consider the bigness of God. Because when we talk about the earth revolving around the sun, think about this. The sun is actually revolving around within our galaxy. Our galaxy is revolving around within billions of galaxies. And all of those galaxies are held together by God. Yeah. God is bigger than we can possibly fathom. And the only way that that, that we can live into our purpose, to to discover our purpose, is to come back to he who created us, that our purpose rests in glorifying him. So that we we ask ourselves on a moment-by-moment, hour-by-hour, day-by-day basis, how is my life revolving around God? How is my day revolving around God? I'm not, I'm not just saying that you know, you, sometimes you, you set the little things aside. You get down to what matters. How am I glorifying God in my relationships? How am I glorifying God at work? How am I glorifying God with my words, with my actions, with the things I do, with the things I don't do? How is everything in my life, heart, soul, mind, and strength, revolving around God? Hmm. We must ask that. For God is big and God is God good. Is good. God is good. Number six, because of that, we fear God, not people. We fear God, not people. We've already talked about we don't fear circumstances because of God. Also because of this, we fear God, not people. In fact, our fear, our, this, this fear of God kind of actually sets the whole tone for our life in general. When our fear is rightly set on God and not, and not the people around, around us, then, then kind of everything falls into place after that. Here's, here's the way Solomon says it in uh, Proverbs 1.7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. You can't even start until you have that one in place. Now, just, just pause here. We talk about fear. We, we, we so often have like just embedded in that our own kind of human sinful fear. Like we're talking about drop down awe on your face before the most glorious created fear, a righteous, a holy, a perfect fear. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. I think about even my, my seminary education. So I got my master's in seminary. I, I, I appreciate a lot of things about the seminary I went to. One of the things that I just think was kind of just off kilter 
in its DNA was this right here. Mm -hmm. Because like a lot of academic institutions, what happened there was you, you rewarded for being creative, for being unique. So you'd come in in a Bible class and you're reflecting on, on how to interpret a passage and you, you got extra attention from the professor when you had a unique interpretation. You, you walk into systematic theology and you, you start having a conversation. You get extra, the more creative you were, the more attention, the more care, the more, more well thought of you were. This, this, is not, this is not the beginning of, of wisdom. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. It's me down face down in front of God's wisdom. It's me submitting to the wisdom that God has given me. I don't get brownie points for being creative. In fact, the more creative I am, usually the yeah. more wrong I am. The genius of coming up with a brand new theology <laughs> it's that just no amazing. one's ever thought of before. <laughs> uh, we've talked about this even this week. You could boil a lot of counseling down to this. A lot of times when I sit across the room from somebody who's struggling, struggling in their marriage, struggling in their work life, struggling, worried, worried about their future. There's a fear that has gripped them. And let me just even speak empathetically to you. The fear of man has gripped me this week. The fear of, of my future has gripped me this week. The, the fear of financial security has gripped me this week. And so I don't speak as one who's conquered this, but, but, but the solution to all of these things, to so much of what is wrong in our heart is that we're gripped not by the fear of God, but by lesser fears, so much lesser fears that are shaping our path. The fear of God is how we shape our lives, not the fear of man. That is so good. Sometimes people's lives are driven by earning the approval and the acceptance of people because their own insecurity and fear is of people and they're driven to want that acceptance. Yeah, yeah. May it be that we are driven to God for his acceptance. Mm -hmm. The final principle here is a powerful one to close on. If God is for me, who can be against me? It's not just that God is big and that God is good. It's not just that we can have peace, that he's in control, that, that the foundation of relationships is, is fearing God and not human beings but to understand that that big and good God is for me, is on my side. It actually transforms our life and gives us a, a confidence to face challenges, to face darkness, to, to, to face trials, to, to walk into tomorrow knowing God is on my side. Listen to these words from Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things if God is for us? Who can be against us? Listen to these words from Psalm 118, verse 6 and 7. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. That there is a, a confidence to know that God is on my side. This is what Jesus was getting to when, when he, he said, don't have worry. Consider the birds of the air. God's taking care of them. We know God is on our side. It, it's a game changer for everything. I, so so I, I've, I've told this story multiple times. When I was in fifth grade, we moved from a, a Jewish suburb to another suburb of Minneapolis, and, and it was not Jewish by its makeup. And I stuck, stood out like a, a, a sore thumb. I ate different foods. I wore different clothes. 
at the beginning of school, September and October, I had different holy days. So I, I missed like three weeks of school in the first two months. And, and so I ended up being picked on quite a bit. My, my, my name, my nickname in fifth grade was Spoiled Little Jew Boy. And there's one guy in particular that, that just scared me. He stole my lunch money. He stole my lunches. If I saw him walking down the highway, I ran around the other way to try and, try and escape his wrath. <laughs> the worst thing was on recess, he would call people over and gather a crowd and gather me, and he would make me do push-ups in front of them. So I'm bemoaning this one evening as I'm going to bed. My grandpa was over, put me to bed. And, and he's talking to me, and he could tell something was bothering me. So I told him what was going on. And he said, do you have any idea who you are? You are a son of Abraham of the tribe of Levi. Does he have any idea the wrath of God he is calling down on himself, picking on you? And as my grandpa spoke those truths over me, I was like, yeah. I remember it, it didn't help on recess that much. I, I remember him making me do push-ups. I looked at him. I said, do you have any idea the wrath of God you are calling down on yourself by making me do this? And then he made me do them anyway. But there is truth here. God is on our side, and we ought to be speaking those truths over ourselves. All the, I am a new creation in Christ. The old is gone and the new has come. I am dead to sin. I am a son or a daughter of God, a child of God, a co-heir of Jesus Christ. Yeah. We speak those truths over ourselves and remember, God is on our side. He is for us. Therefore, there's no condemnation. Darkness can't come against us. Sin can't come against us. Satan can't come against us. We are protected in the arms of a God, a loving Father who is for us. It is so, so good. Amen. Amen. And some of you, some of you need that truth. I mean, maybe your, your house is in danger even right now. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe you're out of work. Maybe, maybe your, your, your marriage is in jeopardy. You have a, you have a child who's walked away from, from God. And, and you need to hear, God is for me. But some of us... Maybe, maybe by God's grace, you still are employed. You know, as a church, we're, we're so, we've been blessed to be a blessing. We've been able to continue to, to bless our community in this time. And maybe for, for those of us that, that you've experienced God's care, you need to just, you need to slow down because when we're in those seasons, it's, it's just easy to just slip through like, like we're lucky or, or, or just, oh, well, it just, it's just so happened. No, it didn't just so happen. Yeah. We have a God who's, actively for us. I, I just this week reread, just finished rereading uh, The Hobbit, one of my favorite books. And it's fitting because now I'm, I guess I'm sitting under Mount Mordor, it feels uh -huh. like. Um, but, but I finished reading this book and I love how it ends. It ends with this scene with, with Bilbo the Hobbit, Balin the Dwarf, and Gandalf the Great Wizard. And, 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 and Balin and, and, and Bilbo are talking about, hey, these things are happening. And people are saying that, that, that these prophecies are fulfilled. And and, and Bilbo is kind of like, well, isn't that lucky that, that these things happen this way? And Gandalf is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Here are the last words of Gandalf to Bilbo. You don't really suppose, do you, that all your adventures and escapes are managed by mere luck, just for your sole benefit. You're a very fine person, Mr. Baggins, and I'm very fond of you, but you are only quite a little fellow in a wide world after all. God is for us 
actively for us, sovereignly for us, and our hearts ought to be filled with minute-by-minute gratitude for our big and our good God. Amen. I want you to say that with me once. God is big and God is good. If you're at home, God is big and God is good. Let's say it together. Ready? God God is is big and God God is is good. May we never forget that. So, So I don't know what life is looking at right now. And it might be that you're wanting to hit that reset button and there's a lot of suffering in life. I It is a strange world that we live in. But let us never forget that God is big and God is good in the midst of it and he is caring for us. I want to go back over just the the seven truths that we, we spoke of as we walked through this. It is impossible to exaggerate the bigness of God. Gazing on the bigness and goodness of God transforms us. We have peace because God is in control. We embrace God's sovereignty. Our purpose is found in God. We fear God, not people. And if God is for me, who can be against me? My prayer is that these truths would sink into each one of us as individuals, would sink into us as a whole church, and that even as society restarts here, let's let's make sure to Carve out the truth that as we walk forward, we're going to walk forward knowing that God is big and God is good. Let me pray for us and then we'll, we'll close in song. Lord, we proclaim it over our lives. You are big and you are good. We celebrate you. We worship you. And I pray that even today as we continue in worship and, and through this day, would you impress upon us just how awesome just how beautiful, just how powerful, just how big you are and how good you are. Help us feel it. Help us find a place of rest in it. Give us peace that you are God. You are big and you are good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the New Life Bible Fellowship Podcast. We'd love to have you join us in person next week. Or check out our live stream at newlifetucson.live. Have a great week.